Amen. It's such a joy to know the power of God from the Word of God as it comes forth. The Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. And, and that foolishness there is just simply referring to the way the world looks at it. But it's a powerful thing. And so may God have His way this evening. We greet you again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a subject before us that I would like to consider. It's the subject of conviction. I would like to spend a little time tonight considering what a conviction is, what it means to be convicted, and what it means to live in conviction. We need that. I think the title that I would like to have for the message this evening is What the Church Needs Today. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But it's what we need individually. It's what we need in our homes. It's what we need to pass on to our children. It's, it's what the church needs. It's what we need in the kingdom of God. If we want to have a close walk with God, if we want to have power over temptation, which we all face, if we want to live a holy and a sanctified separate life in the midst of a wicked and perverse world around us, the people of God must have convictions that run deep in the Word of God, rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We must learn to live under conviction. I would like to consider what that means this evening. I would also like to consider some how we get convictions and how we pass them on because we want our children to have them. So let's begin with a word of prayer that God would have His way this evening. Father, we thank You for this opportunity. We rejoice that we can be here. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your love. We pray, Father, that You would bring us to conviction. We ask that You would do that for us, Father, and give us the grace that we could pass it on to those that You have placed in our life. Father, we need guidance. We need the Holy Spirit. We need each other to speak into our lives and bring accountability. But we need the Spirit of God prompting us from within through convictions to keep us. Father, we think of the scripture that speaks of those who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Father, ready to be revealed in the last day. We desire, Father, that you would make ready a people here for the Lord Jesus when He comes. We ask that you'd be with us this evening. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I drew a little, uh, just a little diagram up here because I want to make a point. I just drew three characters up here and I'm going to say that these three characters all want to serve the Lord. But they have a little different uh, foundation. This fella has knowledge. He's been taught of God. He knows truth from the scriptures. This fella here also has been taught knowledge. He understands the difference between right and wrong and what God's will is. But this fella also has rule. He knows that if he does that, he's going to get it if he gets caught. That, that's the way a rule operates, if you get caught. 
This fella has knowledge of God. He knows truth. He's been taught from the Word of God. But he also has a rule, or even if he doesn't have a rule, he has conviction. There's conviction in his heart you know, of, of right and wrong. And so I just want to ask, all three of these uh, people are going to be tempted. You know, temptation just comes. That's just a guarantee. That's going to come to all of us. But these three fellows, when temptation comes, I just want to ask you, which of these three are going to be the most equipped to be faithful and resist temptation and be faithful to God? Which of these three would you say are the best equipped? This one over here that has convictions. He is. And, I mean, this fellow, when temptation comes, I mean, the conviction in his heart, that's not attractive to him. His heart's going this way. And that's the desire that we have for us and for our children. I just drew that up there just to make a point of the value of conviction. I want to tell you tonight that the further down the road I get, and I'm starting to get quite a ways, I think back, uh, you know, back when I was 40 or 50, that's even back the road a ways now, but I remember back then whenever I'd have a birthday, I would tell people that I'm really not over the hill yet, but I am getting a pretty good view of the valley. <laughs> and you know, that's just the way it is when you get down the road a ways. You, you just start having seen many things, and I'm just going to say tonight, but the farther down the road I get after having, you know, worked with different people and after working with myself and seeing how God has to work with me and just talking to different youth and relationships and walking with God. It's always a challenge to find the balance for rules and restrictions and where there are blessing, church standards, and where there really is some church liberty, and what legalism really means, uh, it, and what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. How important is unity in the body? How do we submit ourselves one to another? The farther down the road I get, having dealt with all of these things in many different situations, the more I realize the importance of having conviction in our hearts. And the more I realize the power there is when we have conviction in our hearts. We are living in an age where church liberty is, is at an all-time high. I mean, just nothing touches the liberty that we have in Christ in the world of Christianity around us. We are living in an age when theology and books and Access to knowledge and intelligence is almost unlimited. But individualism and independence is at an all-time high. And because of that, there is so much teaching, almost an onslaught of teaching in the world around us against restrictions and against boundaries for our life and standards in the churches and in our homes. It's all referred to as legalism. And because of this onslaught of teaching, it's actually taking its toll on scriptural obedience. The scriptural commandment to, you know, submit, to be under authority, 
the commandment for obedience and unity in the body, and it's taking its toll on our churches, and it's taking its toll on our homes. It's taking its toll on us and on our children, and it's not coming out right, I just tell you, and it's not going to come out right until we can turn this zeal for the liberty that we have in Christ, turn that thing around and turn it into zeal for obedience to the commandments of God and making it conviction in our heart before a holy God. Until we can do that, it's not going to come out right. We must have convictions, scriptural convictions, not convictions for our independence like some people seem to have, but scriptural conviction for obedience to a separate and a holy life. And I just want us to know tonight that if we throw away the rules because of the theology and the teaching that's all around us, because of the liberty that we have in Christ, because of the books we've read, if we throw away the rules because of the church we came out of, because maybe it was not emphasized in a right way, if we throw away the rules and don't have conviction in our hearts, I'll just tell you tonight, you are a sitting duck for deception. Think of it. We are an accident waiting to happen and our children become an accident waiting to happen and they will happen and they are happening right in our midst. I tell you, we don't want to raise a generation of accidents waiting to happen. Fathers, we must have conviction. We must teach them to our children. We must know how to pass them on. I remember when I got married, and again, that's back the road a ways, but I remember writing a poem to my parents. I can't remember the poem, but I remember one thing that was in it. I thanked them for the convictions that they had, that they had taught to me, that I now boldly called my own. We need that. And all the accidents in our midst have not happened yet. There are more that are about to happen. The groundwork for them is being laid. And you can say why, and I'm going to tell you why, because there's a combination out there, but also among us, working its way right into our midst, there is a combination of not having the depth of conviction combined with a defiance against rules. That is a disastrous combination. When people think they're spiritual enough, they want to be led by the Spirit. We don't need rules, but they don't have convictions rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I'll tell you tonight, there is no one so spiritual that you can throw away restraint, you can throw away authority, you can throw away accountability without convictions and still walk with God and prosper in the kingdom of God. There is no one that can do that. There's no church that can do that. We must have convictions. Now I want to look at just the other side of that for just a moment. So then, if we keep the rules, uh, you say, okay, let's keep the rules. And so we make the rules and we keep them. And we emphasize the rules. And we still don't have conviction. Really, all we have is, is the rule. If that's what we do, that doesn't come out right either. I tell you, I believe there is a time for some brotherhood agreements to set a direction. We need it for obedience, for submission one to another, for unity. But if we have the rules 
and don't have conviction in our heart and in our conscience, that doesn't come out right either. A conviction is so much more powerful than a rule. I want you to think about that. I want you to know tonight that I, my motive here has nothing to do with being against rules. My, my motive tonight is to not stop with a rule. We want to move into a deeper foundation where we have conviction in the Word of God. A rule can be a tool to lead us to conviction. It's kind of like a spanking. You know, the spanking uh, for our child is not the desired end. If our child misbehaves and we give them a spanking, we, we haven't accomplished our desired end. It's just a tool to help lead us, get them to higher ground and a deeper understanding of where they need to be, I believe. <clears throat> we must have convictions and pass them on to our youth. I just noticed this. People who have convictions are not usually the ones who react to rules. That's interesting. You know who usually reacts to rules? The people that don't have convictions and the ones who want that liberty. It's just amazing. But we want convictions. And I don't want anyone here tonight to just automatically assume, any parents here, that your children have convictions. I don't want you to assume that. They might not have them. I want to challenge you this evening. They might just have head knowledge. They might just have a preference. They might just have a rule. But they might not have conviction. And a rule is not conviction. And that rule will not always carry you through. Certainly won't for many generations. We must have convictions. The goal of parenting and pastoring, I believe, is to lead other people to conviction. How do we do that? I tell you, it's by repetition over and over the way, that, the way an athlete trains for the Olympics. It's just over and over until he gets conditioned. I mean, his whole body is geared for this thing. And it's line upon line and it's precept upon precept. It's like Paul did for the Corinthians. Those Corinthians had a lot of challenges. You go through the book of Corinthians, I think I found about 15 or 16 major issues that Paul dealt with in them. And he, he just sat down with them. But I tell you tonight, Paul didn't just lead them to repentance and then he was done. He didn't just give them a spanking and then slap a rule on them. He led them to conviction. Have you ever read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about the repentance that Paul led those people to? He said, yea, what indignation. That's a powerful thing. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. Yea, what vehement desire. I tell you, that, that doesn't come out of a rule. That comes out of conviction. It's what Paul had for the Ephesians. Paul said, I've taught you from house to house. Just teaching, teaching, teaching. From house to house three years. Ceased not to warn them night and day with tears. I, I tell you, he, he didn't want to just say it once and give them a rule. It was a burden. He wanted that thing to go down deep. He wanted the roots to spread out in the Word of God. So that this thing stuck in their heart and in their conscience. It's the burden Jesus had for His disciples. 
That's the way Jesus did with his disciples. He just, by teaching, by prayer, by example, he walked with them. He talked with them through the day. He used examples of things that came up in everyday life. He tried to build a relationship with them. He prayed for them. That's what Jesus said. I have prayed for you, Peter, because he wanted them to have convictions. We are living in an age when many of our children are walking away from the convictions that their parents have had, walking away from the literal teachings of the Word of God. And, and these children that are walking away are not just walking away from God and away from salvation and shaking their fist at God and just saying, I'm done with God. But what these children are doing is they're compromising. The, 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 the conviction isn't deep enough. They're willing to move a little bit. That's what compromising is. Setting a new direction. And it's from the influence, I tell you, of their music and the teaching around them from the social media, from videos and DVDs and the world of entertainment and the Christian liberty that's emphasized around us. And because they don't have a conviction rooted and grounded in their heart, they begin to move. I want to tell you tonight, God is not a compromiser. He established an order and we need to establish our convictions according to that order and not move. I know I've given this illustration before, but I love it. You know, Pharaoh was trying to compromise with God about the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And, and, and Pharaoh came up with an idea. He said, okay, I'll tell you, your people can go. Your men can go. You can take your women with you. You can even take your children, but leave your cattle here. Remember what God said? He said, not one hoof shall be left behind. That's about the kind of compromise that God is. He does not move. We move. And it's not according to the order of God. We are living also, and this is even more serious, in an age when many parents, in order to maintain a relationship with their children, instead of digging in their heels and taking a stand, they begin to justify their children and even following in the direction of their children. There are parents who literally do that. And I just tell you tonight, that is not conviction. <clears throat> when parents let their children set the direction for the home, when pastors can't turn things around in their church and they just decide to go with the flow, that is not conviction. That is compromise. And it just what it does is it just, the youth... Set the direction for the church. And that's about as unscriptural as you can get. I want to study the word of God here to find out what a conviction is. That's the burden that we have in our heart. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. Let's open to John chapter 8. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It's as Jesus as he dealt with the woman taken in adultery. And it's Jesus as he dealt with the accusers, uh, her accusers. 
I'd just like to read here through verse 12. The word conviction, as far as I know, does not appear in Scripture. The word convicted does one time. It's in this passage. And I want to take a look at it. <clears throat> Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I want you to notice here. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I think we'll stop reading there. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 9. We get a little insight here on convictions. One thing that we can learn from verse 9 here about convictions is that convictions are connected to our conscience. You notice that? It says here, they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. That's very, very significant. This is what makes convictions so powerful. Is that they're connected to the conscience. So we need to understand the conscience. To understand the power of convictions. The conscience of man is a very interesting subject. God put a conscience in every person here. He did. That's of God. That's God's way. I've marveled at that many, many times. And I'm sure we all know that. How many of us have felt the power of God in our conscience in a very powerful way. I mean, that thing was just turning. And it was a powerful thing. It wasn't any accusations coming from the outside. It was in your conscience. And your conscience is a very, very big thing. Your conscience is bigger than your brain. You can't just come up with, Conjure up an idea and do an end run around your conscience by the power of the brain. You can't do it. The conscience will win. And you know, that's interesting. We don't even know where the conscience is in the, in the body. Doctors today, they, they can't even operate on a conscience. If they could, there'd be a lot of operations underway. But I tell you, the doctors don't know where to operate. 
It's not really in your brain or in your mind. It's, it's more in your heart, but it's very, very big. And God put it there, your conscience. And we know that your conscience can be seared with a hot iron. It needs to be molded right. But God put that conscience in every person. And it is a way that God can speak to every person. It's amazing. Directly and personally in a very powerful way. God has a strong grip on a life, let me tell you, when he moves in their conscience. Because it is very, very big. There have been people who have just been smitten with guilt. With no outside accusations, whatever. Just because God spoke to them in their conscience. Really, really confession. Isn't confession one of the most beautiful things in the kingdom of God? <laughs> and think about it. That's what confession is. It's not somebody putting pressure from the outside. It's God stirring in their conscience. God is moving. It's them hearing from God. And that's what makes this thing so powerful is because when it's God in the conscience, it creates a fear of God rather than a fear of man. Powerful difference. You know, just think about it, and uh, nothing against the rule, but a rule creates a lot of fear of man if you get caught. But a conviction creates a fear of God. When God moves in a conscience, <clears throat> there are people who have turned themselves in. Literally even people who aren't even that much of a professing Christian because they couldn't get around God in their conscience. There are people who have committed suicide because they didn't know what to do with God in their conscience. It just ate them up. I, I was, when we lived in Oregon years ago, there was, a, there was a lady who lived in a town nearby and she had lived there for 20 years. And there had been a crime committed 20 years earlier and there was one female that was never captured in this, I forget what it was, a robbery or, or something. And, and they never could catch her. And it was this lady that lived in the town. And she was on the 10 most wanted list of the FBI. And this lady decided she didn't like that kind of life. She was going to clean it up. And so she changed her name. She moved into this area. She met a fine young man. She got married. She had good children. She was active in community and all the different activities that they have there. But she didn't know what to do with her conscience. Nobody knew until one day she just turned herself in. Her husband couldn't believe it. Her children couldn't believe it. Her neighbors couldn't believe it. She just came and she said, I changed my name. I'm the one on the 10 most wanted list. I'm the one you couldn't find. Just do with me what you will, but let me be free of my conscience. Amen. This is the power of God. And God wants this power in each one of our lives, and He gets there through conviction. And I know that our conscience can be seared with a hot iron, and sometimes it seems like men learn to live with it but when God is in your conscience I tell you that is what conviction is that's what it is that's what we need God in our conscience that's what this fellow over here has I mean these don't have it this fellow has some knowledge this fellow has a rule but this fellow has God in his conscience and I tell you when temptation comes down to this little fella he 
He can't do that. I mean, he'll die before he does that. He knows he can't handle that. I mean, his heart's going this way because God is in his conscience. That is what we need. That's why a conviction is so much more powerful than a rule. <clears throat> I want to tell you tonight, you can do, and your children can do, an end run around a commandment. We've seen it. People do it all the time. But you can't do an end run around God in your conscience. You can't do it. Your children can't do it. You can sneak your way around a standard and then you can go to the party afterwards and you can have a great time. But you can't sneak your way around God and go to a party afterwards. You're going to have to go home. You're going to have to leave the party. And no one there may even know the reason why that you are smitten. But you can't stay because God is in your conscience. That's why Peter went out and wept bitterly because he was smitten by God in his conscience. I really, that's the reason that Judas went out and hung himself is because God got in his conscience and he, he didn't make the right choices of what to do with it. But I tell you, people can't get around God in their conscience. And that's what we have in this story that we read here in John chapter 8. These men, these accusers, I tell you, they wanted to stay for the party. They did. They wanted to accuse this woman. They wanted to condemn her. They wanted to cast stones at her. But they had to leave. They could not stay because God got in their conscience. And they had to leave. They were convicted and they had to leave. It's the most powerful thing there is in the world. That's what conviction is, is God in your conscience. And I just tell you tonight, brothers and sisters, youth, that's what we need in our marriages. It is. That's what we need when the music plays. That's what we need in our computers. That's what we need in our churches. I tell you, when no one else is around, when no one else is accusing, when no one else is speaking into our life, God is moving. Because we've developed convictions. We've allowed God into our heart and into our conscience. <clears throat> when our children... When our youth are convicted in their conscience concerning purity, modesty, being under authority, and they can't live with themselves any other way, that's when you know that God is in their conscience. Like that young girl that was in a wrong group of friends because they were together at relatives at a wedding and went out to do some evil things some of the cousins were and they encouraged this girl to come along and she she came not knowing what was going they wanted to go see a bad movie and drink some wrong liquid while they were watching the movie and she says well i can't go she was over here there's, there's no way that she could do that and they began to tease her you know you're, you're afraid you're afraid your daddy's gonna hurt you and she said no I'm not afraid my daddy's going to hurt me. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my daddy. That, that, that girl, you know, fathers love that story. And I, I love that story. God loves that story because God is a father. And he wants that to be our response. 
You know, when we're tempted, we're not afraid God's just going to kill us and strike us dead. We're afraid we're going to damage this relationship with our Father. It's God stirring in our conscience that gives us that direction. <clears throat> I see these fads and fashions coming in to some of the youth in uh, the different churches around us, the tight tops, the t-shirts, you know, the hairdos, the Facebook, some cool spirit, the casual thing. And, and, and they come in because God isn't in their conscience. They can do an end run around a rule. But we need to teach these things with the depth and the gravity that develops conviction in their heart. And you know, sometimes we hear all this spiritual nonsense about, you know, these things don't matter, they're okay, we can handle it because we love the Lord and we can't lift up a standard against these things because there's an accusation of legalism. And so we throw away the rule and we throw away the standard when there's not conviction in our hearts and in the hearts of our children. And I tell you, it's disaster for our churches, for our homes, for, for us individually. No one can handle that kind of liberty. I tell you, we let God in our theology. We let God in our spiritual talk. We let God in our singing. We bring God into our testimony. But if we don't bring God into our conscience, then we don't have conviction because conviction is God in our conscience. I've heard parents say about their children when they had children who did something that just wasn't right. <clears throat> and they were so hurt by it. I've heard parents say, how could he do, do that? How could my child have done that? We've probably all heard that cry. You know, I can't believe he did that. He was not raised that way. He knew better than that. But I want to tell you why he did that. They were right. He knew better than that. He wasn't raised that way. He was told not to do that. But it hadn't been established deep enough in his heart to be a conviction. And until this thing gets here, I tell you, he can do that. That's the power of the flesh. That's the power of the influence of the world around us. It can happen. None of us can handle all of that just because we have a little knowledge. I tell you, we, and, and we don't want to stop at a rule. We want that to be a tool to lead us on. But we need to just keep pressing in. Parents in our homes, pastors in our churches, until that thing gets established in the hearts of our people where God gets a hold of their conscience. Then, I mean, <clears throat> it's almost like you can relax. I mean, we can never really relax, but you know what I mean. <laughs> There's some peace there. It brings peace into a home. It brings peace into a fellowship. It brings fellowship into a, into a home and into a church family. It does. I want to take a look at this word convicted that we read here in John chapter 8. It comes from the Greek word. I think I'm just going to write it down up here. The Greek word is, uh, if I can write it here, uh, let's see. It's elego, C-H-O. C-H-O. And it's, there's two words that are very similar. One of them is just the same, only it has an S. And this word, elegtos, is irrefutable evidence. That, that's just, that's what that word means. It's like you find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, when it says, 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence. There, there it is, elegos, of things not seen. Irrefutable evidence. But this is the word right here, without the S, elego, that is in uh, John chapter 8, conviction. And this word, we can learn a lot about conviction, even about how to get conviction, by understanding a little bit about this word. This is a very restrictive word. It has boundaries that you cannot pass over. You can't. It means rebuked. It means you have been rebuked with irrefutable evidence and there is no way that you can argue. It means there has been a sentence placed upon you of judgment and there is no way that you can get out from under it. In other words, you become a convict. That's literally what it means. When, when that... Conviction lands upon you. You become a convict. And it has boundaries that you cannot pass over. It's kind of like probation. You know, it means that there's things that you cannot do. There's places that you cannot go. You have to live. You have to stay within a certain boundary and give account to authorities. And, and I want you to know I'm not trying to paint a picture of law here. It kind of sounds like it on probation. But listen carefully here. I'm not painting a picture of law. I'm painting a picture of something a thousand times stronger than law. People get around law all the time. I'm talking about something you can't get around at all. Because you can't get around God in your conscience. Conviction is more power, powerful than any law. Or commandment that enters into your conscience. You cannot get around it. <clears throat> this word means rebuke. Uh, I want you to know that it's the same word as rebuked. Convicted. Rebuked. Same word. You bring conviction into their hearts by rebuke. It, it's what Paul told Timothy when he said, Titus, I believe, when he said to Titus to rebuke with all authority. Bring conviction. Make this thing stick. Drive it home. Titus. It's the same word as in Hebrews 12 where it says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Turned into a convict by the irrefutable evidence of God presenting his word and establishing it rooted and grounded deep in your heart. Revelation chapter 3.19 says, As many as I love, this is Jesus speaking, I rebuke. It's the same word. It's conviction. <laughs> when God loves someone, He brings conviction into their heart. I rebuke and chasten. God wants us to have it. When God rebukes you, I tell you, brothers and sisters and youth, when God rebukes you, He's trying to bring you to conviction. It's the same word. There's another word that's the same word, and it means convinced. There's no question left in your mind you know that God is right. It's the same word. You are thoroughly convinced. You believe it is truth. It, it's the word that is used when I think it says an unbeliever comes into your midst, and he watches, and it says he is convinced of all. 
There's no more question in his mind. He knows that God is here. It's the same word when we're instructed to be able to convince the gainsayers. Just to have more evidence than they can argue with. <clears throat> it's the same word. These four words are the same. Repute, reproved, rebuked, convinced, and convicted. That's God's heart for us. That, that's so much stronger than just a commandment. Think about it. And we have rules that can lead us there. <clears throat> it can help drive it deep. But we need irrefutable evidence. When we are thoroughly convinced, we are convicted. <clears throat> so I want to learn something about how we get these convictions. I want to tell you this. If you can't take rebuke, then you'll never get to conviction. It's the same thing. You can't reject one and have the other when it's the same thing. If you can't take rebuke, think of it. This is how conviction comes. Listen close when rebuke comes. Be convinced of truth. Remember that Jesus said, those that I love, I rebuke and chasten. Re-accept the chastening. Let it drive us to conviction. That's how we get there. <clears throat> That's how we bring God into our conscience. There's a, a couple of examples that I would like to turn here of people that I just believe had conviction. Genesis 39, if you want to turn there, it's a little story about Joseph uh, when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife. I think it's 39 verse 9. <clears throat> and this woman was trying to seduce Joseph. And, and you know, I just want to remind you, Joseph di didn't have a rule slapped on him, you know, that he couldn't do this. Joseph wasn't didn't have people watching him through the windows. He, he, he had God in his conscience. Listen to this. Joseph said to that woman, he said, There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath you know, your husband kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I mean, God was just in there. And Joseph, there was no way that he could do that. I mean, it's like he wasn't even that concerned about sinning against Potiphar, her husband. I mean, he was, because that was part of what God put in his heart. But God was in there. And I just tell you, that's what we need. That's what the church needs today. That's what we all need individually. That's what we need in our homes. It is, I believe. Our brother read one of those. I'd like to go back and read it again in Acts chapter 19. It's just a beautiful passage there that he read about what happens when the word of God is preached. But in Acts chapter 19, verse 18 says, And many that believed came and confessed. That is God in their conscience. That's what that is. They, they came and confessed things that nobody knew about. This is how God moves. It's just a marvelous example here. They came and showed their deeds. Nobody even knew their deeds. But God. And he was in their conscience. And here it comes. It just comes out. 
Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And you know, I just think it's so interesting that it gives the price of those books. I mean, why did he throw that in here? It says, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Does anybody know what that's worth? Does anybody have a note in your Bible that tell, I kind of forget, it's millions. I, th I think it's $8 million. Five or eight million. It's, it's so much money. I think that's why it's written in here. I mean, when God got in their conscience, all that value didn't even mean anything. Where are we with giving God liberty to just come into our conscience and clean house so that we can't even live unless he does that? There are people who are afraid to let him in. I tell you, brothers and sisters and youth, this is beautiful. Because look what happens. Verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. He didn't need that $8 million, did he? To prosper and prevail. No, the word of God prospered, grew the word of God and prevailed. Isn't that what we want in our life? That's what we get when we have convictions. When God gets into our hearts. So I'm just going to ask a question here. I don't want to be too late tonight. But how many convictions do we need to have? <clears throat> you know, some people think, well, I have convictions in two or three areas. Other areas are pretty flexible. How many areas do we need to have convictions in? I would like to give you the most basic, honest, simplest, truest answer that I know how to give. We need a conviction for all the commandments of God. Which one are you going to leave out? Which one are you going to just turn into a preference? Which one are you just going to give liberty to your children? They can just take their pick. Take it or leave it. We need convictions for all the commandments of God. All the scriptural principles and commandments of God in your heart and in your conscience. The big commandments... And the little ones, if there is such a thing. But there are some commandments that are very, very big. Some of them are in there probably a hundred times to love. How many times is that in there? I mean, that's just in there over and over again. To love your brother. Purity and modesty and some of those things. Maybe they're in there 25 or 50 times. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands or your finances. How many times is that in there? You know, 10, 12? Uh, Greet one another with a holy kiss in there five times. But things like, you know, to wash feet or maybe the covering on our sisters, it's just in there once. But I tell you, I believe that we need to develop a conviction in our heart for each of the commandments of God. People say, but, you know, if it's only in there one time, I mean, it's just not that big a thing. It's just not that big a thing. It's only in there one time. But what does God say about something that is in there one time? What does God say? He said, the word that goeth forth from my mouth will not return to him void. It will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If it's in here at all, it proceeded from the mouth of God. Could we agree with that tonight? The scripture teaches us that not one jot or one tittle shall fail or shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. 
It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one tittle of the law to fail. Do you know what a tittle is? Let me tell you what, I kind of looked this thing up. It was kind of interesting to me. And the, the thing that it said is even less than dotting an I and crossing a T. It's like if you have an R, just the letter R. It said a tittle is just this little hook right up here. Do you realize what the Word of God has said? It's easier for heaven and earth. I mean, look outside sometime into the stars and into the heavens. Travel 25,000 miles around the earth. It is easier. Not as easy. I tell you, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Nothing that God has said is a small commandment. We need a conviction deep rooted in the word of God and let God in our conscience for every commandment so that we can be faithful. <clears throat> How many times does God have to say something until it becomes truth? He is the only potentate and he has spoken. We need commandments for all, conviction for all the commandments of God. I want to start bringing this to a close this evening. I want to just write three things up here. This has been a description of different generations. The first one is conviction. There are fathers who have had conviction. There, there, is, there are generations that have been put in the category of compromise. And there are generations that have been put in the category of confusion. Conviction, compromise, and confusion. This is a description of three generations that follow each other that have repeated itself many times over and over in the scriptures. It's a very sad picture, but it's a very, very accurate one. <clears throat> conviction is like the disciples of Christ. It's like the early church. It's like revival. It's, it, there's a tremendous sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God. It's when God is in the conscience. There's tremendous discernment against evil. It's like the Bereans who were in the Word and on their knees. It's like, you know, the, the martyrs. The, these people were convicted. But I tell you that the challenging thing here is these people that had conviction... They had children. And many times this conviction that was in their heart was not passed on to their children. And, in the, and these people, these martyrs, they, they, they left the land of persecution. They came to America. They wanted to have a better life for their children. And instead of passing on to their convictions, they, they had children. This happened many, many times. And in compromise, this is the class of people that they do love the Lord dearly, but they have a much broader scope of what is acceptable in the kingdom of God. In music, in money, in appearance, in entertainment, in lifestyle, there's kind of a, an at-ease in Zion type attitude. This generation can be very high on Christian liberty. They have some good doctrine, but they have lots of liberty and a, a big scope for application. And I want to tell you what's very challenging about these people who, who are, are 
coasting some on their parents' conviction, but they have opened the door to a much broader scope of acceptance. Those people have children. And it's been said, and it's been accurately said many times, what parents allow in moderation, children allow in excess. That just happens over and over again. And these people here, they're, they're not necessarily atheists. They're, they're not ones who necessarily reject God, but they just can't take a stand. I mean, to take a stand against divorce or something like that, I mean, if the Bible doesn't specifically come out and say it, or if it even says it questionable, just let the thing go and you love the Lord and, and don't worry about it. There's tremendous looseness. And the sad part is that these people have children also. And so it goes. And what was conviction up here in grandfather, down here is just feeding the camp of the enemy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have kind of been put in, in this category before. If you read the account of Abraham, everywhere he went, he built an altar. He did. His son Isaac, everywhere he went, he dug a well. And his son Jacob, everywhere he went, he picked a fight. I mean, that's just kind of the way that thing happened. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I realized there was some repentance and calling of God upon all three of these. But you, you see where the children of Israel ended up in the land of Egypt? They didn't even know who God was. I mean, this thing was just a few generations down here in Egypt. They had no knowledge of God. And we say, how can it be? And I tell you how it can be. It's because when we have conviction, we haven't learned how to pass them on to our children and wipe this thing out and bring it right back up here for generations. You know, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, maybe I should read that. I love that passage of Scripture. It just says about our God is the faithful God. Let me just read it if I can find it quickly. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. How long is God good for? Do you know what it says there? For a thousand generations. That's amazing. How long is a generation? You know, there's been different amounts of years put on a generation, but it's basically 25 or 30 years. Let's just say 25 years. Do you know how many years a thousand generation is when a generation is 25 years? It's all the way from us, all the way back to Adam, four times over. Just do the math. God is faithful to a thousand generations. And brothers, fathers and mothers, here we are. God is faithful for a thousand generations. What does he require of us? Just one. Can we be faithful for just one? And I look back over the years and my heart just cries out. It's like I wished I'd have known this back then. And so here we are down the road. Most of my family is married. Most of the opportunity to teach is gone. And we just cry out to God for mercy. And God is a merciful God. But I tell you, I just want to reach the hearts of some young people. You need to learn to pass convictions on to your children. Just one generation is all that is required of you. You know, the early church, that hot church of Ephesus, I mean, that thing, great things happened through the church at Ephesus. I mean, God was moving. He had liberty. And about two generations from there, about 50 years, 
is about 50 years later when the Holy Spirit of God sent a letter to the church at Ephesus. It's just about two generations later. It's just about what happened right here. And what did he say? <clears throat> you have left your first love. And if you don't repent, I'm going to take your candlestick out of its place and your church won't even have a place in the kingdom of God. Think of it. The church at Ephesus, where Paul warned the people day and night with tears. He knew that there were going to be wolves come in. Even of yourselves among you, men would rise up. And, and Paul knew that was coming. But, and, and we know it's coming. But I believe by the Spirit of God, by the power of God in our conscience, we can take a stand against this thing and establish a faithful generation for years to come. I believe that. I want to put my heart to that thing. So may God have his way. I want to encourage us tonight. It doesn't have to go this way. If your family, if your home is struggling down here somewhere, you know what you can do? <clears throat> you can turn that thing around by the power of God and make it go the other way. There's lots of people who have done that. You can do that. How do you do it? I tell you, when you let God in your conscience, it's amazing what will happen. You may not think you're a born leader. You may not think you can do this thing. But I tell you, when God is in your conscience, there's a new strength that you didn't know was there. And it's because God is in there. God is able. And He's called us to rise up. And so I just want to encourage us this evening. I don't want to condemn anyone. I hope you don't hear this message that way. I don't want to take away the place for rules and the coming together with agreements and a fellowship. I'm not trying to take away parents' authority to give some boundaries to the children at home. I want to encourage that thing. I want you to feed that thing. I want you to just line upon line and precept upon precept. Build that thing. Send the roots down deep. Let it get into the hearts of your children. And it's just amazing what God can do. I would encourage us this way. So let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, that you have given man a conscience. Marvelous tool. May we not overlook it. May we not disregard it. But may we use it to open the door of our conscience to the Lord God by teaching, by prayer, by <clears throat> line upon line and precept upon precept, by reading your word, by meditating on your word. <clears throat> when we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk by the way to get this thing established in our hearts, Father, so that you have liberty to move. Give us strength, give us wisdom to be faithful. <clears throat> we worship you tonight. Father, have your way. We submit our will. We bow in reverence. We plead for mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.